At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Welcome to our series, Unstoppable, Bound in His Love, Freed by His Spirit, where we're journeying through what many call the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans 8, to uncover a more lasting force than hard work and a more enduring purpose than momentary success. Thank you, Cassie. Good morning, church. It's a delight to be here with you this morning. Pastor Vince is away at a retreat for Awakened Heart uh, Ministry, so keep him in prayer. Um, I'm, I'm going to be very selfish this morning and uh, not greet you personally. I'm not going to shake your hands just because I'm just a mean person. No. Um, um, I'm still battling the end of a cold, and I really don't think you want any part of it. So um, I'm just not going to shake your hand. I will talk to you. I'll be up front at the, after the service if you do want to talk. But um, shaking of hands and hugging are, are right out the window for me today. I, I hope you will I'll bear with me. Today is the last Sunday the last day of October. You guys all recognize that, right? I don't know how you're doing with your New Year's resolutions. Anybody remember them? So let's go with a, a hypothetical. It's not biographical at all. I'm just, it's just a hypothetical. Pretend this, that you decide that you want to give up eating unhealthy for a while, that you know that eating unhealthy is displeasing to the Lord. You want to help uh, you know, yourself get better, to help, help yourself get healthier. Your doctor will appreciate it. Your spouse will appreciate it. You decide that instead of eating your normal two slices of chocolate cake every evening after dinner, you will only eat one. Sounds like a good idea, right? I mean, just, just one instead of two. Let's, it's hypothetical. Let's just go with it. And so after dinner is done, you eat your one chocolate cake and you put the fork down and you're happy that you've succeeded in only eating one chocolate cake. I mean, that's something to celebrate. That's a milestone. Praise God. That is, that is achievement number one, milestone reached. Amen. Later that evening, you decide you want to watch TV, but in order to get to the TV in the family room, you have to go through the kitchen. And as you pass through the kitchen, on the countertop, lo and behold, is a plate with one slice of cake on it. Most likely the second piece that you normally would have eaten, but there it is, sitting all alone, all by itself, on the countertop. And in a flash, you decide if you cut this slice of cake into thirds, right? That, and eat only one third, you're still ahead. I mean, normally you eat two slices of cake, but today with that one third, you're only one and a third into the problem and you're still ahead. I mean, that's far better. I mean, even the angels can rejoice over that, right? <laughs> and so you eat that one third. You carefully clean up the countertop, you go wash the fork, you put it away, making sure that nothing is disturbed, make sure your, you know, your spouse doesn't recognize that you had that one-third, and all of a sudden the phone rings. You answer the phone. You finish the conversation, you hang up the phone call, only to realize that there's chocolate on your hands. And there's chocolate crumbs all over the countertop, and you realize there's chocolate all over your mouth. Like, how did that happen? Like, where, where did that go? And you look down at the plate, and there's only one-third of a slice of cake left. What happened? You stand there confused. You're in a daze trying to figure out what happened, and all of a sudden you're convinced you can hear 
something say, eat me. <laughs> eat me. And you look down and you go, you're already sunk. You're already defeated. You're already over what you committed. And you go ahead and eat that last one-third slice of cake. Anyone <laughs> want to fess? No, it's OK. Don't do that. It's a humorous way of talking about a very serious topic. Two weeks ago, we ended in Romans chapter 7 with the Apostle Paul saying, the things I want to do, I don't do. And the thing I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. I want to live healthy, but I don't live healthy. I don't want to eat that slice of cake, but I end up eating it anyway. And Paul ends chapter 7 with a gut-wrenching cry, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? You remember that? Anybody resonate with that? We all made resolutions at the beginning of the year. We all decided that, you know, this is the year we're going to read the Bible through. And here we are, the last Sunday of October, and somehow we're still somehow stuck in the book of Leviticus? <laughs> Who put that book there? <laughs> or we decide to pray. Lord, I'm going to get up early and pray, but aren't these mornings so much nicer to be under the warm covers? Or we decide to do life group. But isn't it funny that every good event ever gets scheduled on the same night life group happens? How does that happen? The thing I want to do, I don't do. But the thing I don't want to do, that's what I end up doing. And that wretchedness within us, that battle, that civil war that takes place within us between the thing we want to do and the thing that we don't want to do, that conflict is what ended chapter 7. Oh, wretched man that I am. If you resonate with that, if you can understand how that feels, I invite you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8 this morning. Today we kick off a brand new series called Unstoppable, bound by his love, set free by his spirit. And we're going to look for the next five weeks at this, what most people consider the greatest chapter in the Bible, Romans chapter 8. And as we look at this passage of scripture, this chapter, this amazing uh, chapter written by the Apostle Paul, it's going to answer the desperate cry that Paul and we have, this cry from our heart about who will set me free from this body of death, between the civil war that's going on between who I am in Christ and what I once used to be in Adam. And what Paul does here in chapter 8 is bring to a culmination and a conclusion everything that he's talked about all throughout this letter of Romans. We've only spent the last few weeks looking at chapters 5 through 7, but really as we come to chapter 8, he's actually concluding everything he's talked about since chapter 1. And what does he say here? He's, he's going to share some amazing truth this morning. And it starts even in the very, very first verse. If you'd read that with me, it says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How many of you are so glad for that one verse? Okay. How many of you rooted for Michigan State last night? Or yesterday? Uh -huh. yeah, yeah. And when they scored a touchdown, was that the kind of voice you used? I'm just saying, the game's over, it's done, the verse is still here. There is therefore now no 
condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And the church said, <clears throat> this is the greatest therefore verse in the Bible. In fact, there are three therefore verses in the book of Romans. Chapter 5 and verse 1 is the first one. Chapter 12 and verse, verse 1 is the third one. But sandwiched between those two really nice therefore verses is the greatest therefore verse for you and for me. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Isn't that the most powerful statement ever made? It is the gospel in one verse. It is the, the summary conclusion of everything the apostle so Paul has been talking about the fact that all of us were born in Adam that once upon a time Adam in the garden failed he rebelled he disobeyed and as a result every single person born on this planet is born in sin we are born with a rebellious nature we want nothing to do with God we want our way right now all the time and if you just go back to chapter 5 for just a minute you'll see that the whole human race stands under condemnation, under judgment. We stand guilty before God. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 16, the Apostle Paul, if I can remind you what he said, he said, And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Skip down to verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness led to justification and life for all men. We stand condemned if we are in Adam. We stand condemned. Con condemnation by definition is inclusive of the verdict as well as the punishment for that verdict. If we are in Adam, when we were born into this world, we were born in Adam, and if we're still in Adam, when we stand before God, the verdict is what, church? Guilty. And the punishment for guilt is death. That's the condemnation that every single person on the planet has to face if we're in Adam. But these verses also point forward to the fact that if we transfer from Team Adam to Team Christ, then all of a sudden the condemnation is no more associated with those of us who are in Christ Jesus. There is something that sets us free. There is something that gives us liberty because we are now set free in the Spirit to live as Christ wants us to live. And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to see that our new location in Christ removes our condemnation. Our new location in Christ removes our condemnation. So I know what you're thinking. How can there be no condemnation? I still sin. I still struggle. I still fail. So how is it that I'm under no condemnation? Well, I'm so glad you asked. We're going to see three reasons why we can have the assurance that we have no condemnation from the first eight verses of Romans chapter 8. And the first reason we can have the assurance that there is no condemnation is because in Christ the Spirit frees us. In Christ the Spirit frees us. Notice verses 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So right after making this amazing declaration that we are under no condemnation, in verse number 2, Paul begins with the word for. And for indicates 
the purpose clause. The reason why we can have assurance that there is no condemnation for us is there in verse number two. And the reason is that the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of the living God, has brought us freedom, has brought us liberation from the domain of sin and death. In fact, in Romans chapter 7, if you remember, the Apostle Paul talked about his relationship to the law. Remember? He told us that the law, it's, it's not bad, it's good, it's righteous, it's holy. So it's not the law's problem, the issue is with us. So while the law was good, our sin hijacked the law, and instead of drawing us closer to God, it caused sin to increase in our lives, which meant it led to more death in our lives. And so while the law was given to show us the righteous requirements of God's holy character and standard, we couldn't measure up. And because we couldn't measure up, we just kept on sinning. And sin increased, and therefore death reigned. But the truth of verse number two is that while that is true, if you have gone from team Adam to team Christ, the Spirit of the living God comes to set us free from the law of sin that leads to death. And we are now freed to live according to God's holy law, not as a requirement, but as out of love and out of affection, because he empowers us to live that way. Aren't you so glad for the Spirit of God? Now, we see a powerful illustration of that. I don't know if you've read the book or, or seen the play Les Miserables, written by Victor Hugo talks about a, a man named Jean Valjean, who was a criminal, who stole. And as a result, he was arrested and he was thrown in prison and prison life hardened him to that kind of life. And when he was finally finished with his sentence and set free, he carried the mark of, of condemnation of being a thief. But acclimating back to regular society was really tough for him. And so because of, of how hard it was, he went back to a life of stealing, a life of thievery. And then one part of the a story, early part of the story, he goes to the bishop's house and he steals all the silver in the bishop's house. And of course he gets caught. And the officers are, bring Valjean uh, to the bishop. And if you read that or pay attention to that part of the story, it's a very powerful moment as Valjean is presented to the bishop caught in the act of, of stealing the bishop's silver, and the bishop tells the arresting officers, Valjean didn't steal that. I gave it to him as a gift. You see, up to that point, Valjean had been freed from the penalty of the law by being set free, but he was still under the power of the law because he kept stealing. But the moment the bishop said those wonderful words, I didn't, he didn't steal it from me, I gave it to him as a gift. That radical act of grace transformed Valjean completely. From that moment on in the story, he transforms into a man of honor and grace. Why? All because of a man who was willing to show grace. Friends, God the righteous almighty God showed us grace, didn't he? He showed us grace when we didn't deserve it. He showed us his love when, when we were furthest from it. And in that act of grace, he transforms us and he not only gets rid of the penalty of sin, which is death, but he reduces, removes the power of the, that sin in our lives. 
He removes both the penalty and the power from our lives. And so, yes, today we still sin sometimes. Yes, today we still fail sometimes. But the truth is, it, in, when we were in Adam, we didn't have any ability to do what was righteous. But now that the Spirit of the living God lives within us and that we have no condemnation, the Spirit sets us free to say yes to righteousness and no to our old sinful ways. Aren't you glad for the Spirit of God living in our lives? And so, as we live our lives and as we struggle, and as we struggle with this civil war that continues to rage within us, the truth of the matter is still that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Even when we fail, even when we miss the mark, we are still children of God. Nothing can change the truth that you and I are sons and daughters of the living God. Amen? That we can sin, but that doesn't change our relationship. There are consequences to sin, but there's no longer any condemnation. But perhaps you're here this morning and you hear that and you, you can intellectually understand that. And you hear that there is no condemnation. But then all of our sin rises to the surface in our minds and that little devil on our shoulder whispers to us, real Christians don't live this way. You're hopeless. See, you did it again. And then we feel condemned and we condemn ourselves, don't we? Church, can I tell you, if God doesn't condemn you, why do we keep condemning ourselves? If the Heavenly Father says there is no condemnation for you, who are we then to condemn ourselves? Friends, there is no condemnation. The blood of Jesus has washed away all our sins. That doesn't mean we get to continue to live in sin. It's no longer who we are. We have been washed clean. All of our sins, past, present, and future, have been paid for on the cross. We have been set free. There is no condemnation. Hallelujah. There is therefore now no condemnation because the Spirit of Christ sets us free from the law of sin and death. And the second reason we can have assurance of no condemnation is because in Christ, God condemns sin. In Christ, God condemns sin. Notice verses 3 and 4. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Here Paul starts again with another four clause, another reason why we can have the assurance that there is no condemnation. And here Paul reminds us that the law, while it was good and holy and righteous, it was powerless to save us. It had no ability to save us. All it could do was show us the threshold, show us the standard of God. It had no ability to save us. And because it had no ability to save us, all we did was plunge into more sin, and sin increased in our lives as a result of the law. The law got hijacked by our sin. But because there is no longer any condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, God flips the script. What the law could not do, God did. And that's what Paul is saying. What the law was powerless to do, God reached down into our world and did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And what is that? Well, if you look at that, he says God condemned sin by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh. It's the reality of the incarnation where the second person of the Trinity set aside his glory 
and took upon himself human flesh and came into this world to be like you and me. Paul here chooses his words very, very carefully. Notice, he did not say that God sent his son in human flesh because that would have assumed that Jesus was sinful like you and me. But that's not what he said. He said God sent his son in the likeness of human flesh. You see, he had a body just like you and me. He was hungry and thirsty. He experienced heat and cold. <coughs> he experienced sickness and pain and sorrow and everything else that you and I experienced. But he did it without sin. He was a perfect, spotless, unblemished Lamb of God who came into this world to deal with our sin problem because we could not. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we in him might become the righteousness of God. You see, we couldn't do anything about it. God sent his son and the reason we have no condemnation is because our condemnation was nailed on a cross 2,000 years ago. And as Jesus hung on that cross on three nails, bleeding from every side with a crown of thorns on his head, his back ripped open by metal whips that ripped open his back. <clears throat> For three hours, God darkened the world. And in the darkness, God poured out the judgment and wrath and condemnation that you and I should have experienced upon his very own son. And so that when he was finished, Jesus cried out, it is finished. What is finished? Condemnation is finished. The wrath of God against sin is finished. Your sin nailed on the cross is finished. Your condemnation and mine on the cross is finished. The work of salvation on the cross is finished. Friends, we have no condemnation because Jesus paid the condemnation for you and for me. Are you glad for Jesus today? <coughs> Turn to your neighbor and say, no condemnation. Oh, look at the other neighbor and tell the other neighbor, no condemnation. Because Jesus paid it. He came in the likeness of sinful flesh and he paid the penalty we could not pay so that we could have a new life in Jesus Christ that sets us free from the law of sin and death and gives us no condemnation. This story is powerfully illustrated in, in the book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Perhaps you've read the book. More likely, you saw the movie. In that book or movie, Four siblings enter the magical land of Narnia. But then as they journey through that land, one of those children, Edmund, betrays his brother and sisters, you remember? And he teams up with the evil white witch. And because Edmund betrayed his family, according to the laws of Narnia, he must die. But before Edmund goes to die, Aslan, the Jesus figure in the story, offers himself in Edmund's place. And then they go and lay Aslan on the stone table, the table that depicts the law on which Narnia was founded. And they kill Aslan. Let me read the words as C.S. Lewis writes them. At that moment, they heard from behind them a loud noise, a great cracking, deafening noise as if a giant had broken a giant's plate. The stone table was broken into two pieces by a great crack that ran down it from end to end, and there was no Aslan. They looked round. 
There, shining in the sunrise, larger than they had seen him before, shaking his mane, stood Aslan himself. Oh, Aslan, cried both the children, staring up at him, almost as much frightened as they were glad. And then C.S. Lewis continues to write, But what does it all mean? asked Susan, when they were somewhat calmer. It means, said Aslan, that though the witch knew the deep magic, there is a magic deeper still which she did not know. Her knowledge goes back only to the dawn of time. But if she could have looked a little further back into the stillness and the darkness before time dawned, she would have read there a different incantation. She would have known that when a willing victim who has committed no treachery was killed in a traitor's stead, the table would crack and death itself would start working backward. Friends, the cracking of that stone table, that table that represented the law, is a beautiful picture of what happened on the cross. When the sinless, spotless, unblemished Lamb of God hung in on that cross in your place and in mine, he broke the law. He broke the chains that bound us. He broke sin and death, and he set us free, set us free so much that death has started to work backwards. That's what those of us who are in Christ experience. We experience no condemnation because we are in Christ Jesus. The Spirit sets us free because Jesus came to take on himself the condemnation for our very own sin. Church, that means that we can live free free to live for him, free to worship him, free to say yes to righteousness and no to sin. But oftentimes we still sin, don't we? That civil war continues to rage and we keep beating ourselves up every time we fail. But you know what? Like a good parent, God looks at us as his children and, you know, when your babies are trying to walk and they fall down, what do you do? Do you smack them, you dummy? Get up and walk. That's not how you do it. Is that what we do to our children who are trying to learn to walk? Or when you're trying to ride a bike and they fall off, what do we do? You knucklehead. That's not how you ride it. Do we say those words? No, we pick them back up and we put them back on their feet and we try to help them walk. That's what God does with us. He recognizes that we will fall. He recognizes we will fail. He recognizes that we will stumble but he's not going to smack us upside the head. He's not going to disown us as his children. He's going to come alongside of us and pick us up and put us back on our feet. And you know what he'll tell us? I love you. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because the Spirit has set us free. There is no condemnation in Christ because Jesus was condemned for me. But thirdly, thirdly, the reason we can have assurance that there is no condemnation is that in Christ we walk by the Spirit. We walk by the Spirit. Notice verses 5 through 8. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul is here describing two groups of people. He's not talking about a carnal Christian as compared to a, a mature Christian. He's actually talking about a believer and an unbeliever. And the difference is in the, in the definition of the word mind. 
Um, before I talk about mind, you notice he uses the word flesh again. It's the same understanding of the word flesh we've had in chapter 6 and 7. It's talking about our sinful nature, our fallenness. We who are in Adam live in and under the domain of our sinful nature. We have nothing else to do except obey the sinful passions of our life. But in Christ, that sinful nature, while still there, has no power over us. That's the flesh. But he says that all of this is about the mind. The mind really is a mind set. And so when we read this word mind here in these verses, he's talking about all of our rational ability, all of our will, all of our affection, the whole of us, and where it is we put our affection and our thoughts and our desires, all of it is our mind set. And so Paul here contrasts two different mindsets. He says one mindset is to be placing our thoughts, our affections, our whole being on the flesh. But if you notice what the outcome of that is, he says that a person who puts the mind on the flesh, it leads to death, it is hostile to God, and it cannot please God. Why is that? Because a mind set on the flesh, a mindset focused on the flesh is focused on me. It's focused on what I want. It's focused on what brings me pleasure. And because it's focused on me, I will never bow my knee to God. And as a result, I cannot please God. The contrast to a mind set on the flesh is a mind set on the spirit. When you have a mind set on the spirit, you're no longer focused on you, are you? You're focused on him. You're focused on the one that delivered you. You're focused on the one that can proclaim over you no condemnation. You're focused on the one that is the source of peace. And when you're connected to the source of peace, peace flows into your life. Amen? That's what a life focused on the spirit looks like. It's a, it's a life where the knee is bent. And we live under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And so I think this morning the Apostle Paul is challenging us with these verses to think about our mindset. Where is our mindset? So let's ask a very specific question. When you wake up in the morning, when your eyes open, what's the first thing your mind goes to? Is it to grab the phone and check your messages? Is it to check all of the calendar items for today and see what is awaiting you and what emails you might have missed? Is it to check all the posts that were made over the night and all the things that you missed from everybody else's life? Perhaps it's to check the news to see what's going on in the world to see if anything changed. Perhaps it's to check your stocks to make sure your portfolio is doing well. Friends, even before our feet hit the ground, we're filling ourselves full of anxiety and worry and stress and everything else, and peace is the furthest thing from our mind, isn't it? The Apostle Paul is challenging us this morning that perhaps we've done it wrong, that we need to set our minds on the things above not other things of this earth. 
that there is a better way to live life, that when you have the mindset of the Spirit, when our eyes open up, that our thoughts go to Him. Folks, are we consumed with Jesus? Is our thoughts and our minds and our affections consumed by the things of heaven? Are we wanting to consume the fruits of the Spirit that God gives us in abundance? Is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-faithfulness, self-control, all those fruits, is that what consumes us? Or are we consumed with everything in this world? It's a challenge to each one of us. It's a challenge to me. Because oftentimes I fail, miserably often, at racing to the next thing without stopping to ponder, Lord, what is it you have for me today? Friends, if you're here this morning and perhaps you don't know Jesus Christ, perhaps there's no peace in your life, Perhaps you've been struggling and trying to make life work, looking for answers in all of the wrong places, and nothing has answered the void in your heart. Can I tell you, we're so thankful you're here today. All of that striving, all of that trying harder, all of that doing more, none of it has worked. Can I just tell you, where the law says do, the gospel says done. Can I say that again? Where the law says do, the gospel says done. How many of you are thankful for that? Nah, three of you, four of you. Praise the Lord. I'm going to celebrate. Praise the Lord. If you're here today and you're striving, can I tell you, you don't need to strive anymore. Jesus has already done it for you. On the cross of Calvary, he took your penalty and mine. He took your condemnation and mine. He bore your sin and mine for all of eternity on the cross. And all you have to do is say yes to him. Receive that free gift by faith. Confess your sin. Say, Lord, I'm sorry for the things I've done. And I receive the free gift of Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on my behalf. The Bible says the moment you do, you too in Christ will have no condemnation. Praise the Lord. That can be you today. Please don't leave without coming to know Jesus Christ by faith. For those of you who do know Jesus Christ, we're going to celebrate with a song. Worship team, why don't you come on up? But as they come up, can I just ask you, challenge you, don't live in condemnation. God has already set you free. Don't live condemning yourself. Live free as the Spirit has set you free. And the way to do that is to set our eyes and our minds on the things above, to stay connected with our Savior. That when our eyes open for the first time Monday morning to the time our head hits the pillow Monday night, may we be connected to Him. There's a song that came to mind as I was writing this. In the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, in the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. When I'm alone, when I'm alone, when I'm alone, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. When I come to die, when I come to die, when I come to die, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. You can have all this world. Just give me Jesus. Would you stand with me?
how many of you are willing to say, Lord, it's not the news, it's not the stocks, it's not work, it's not Facebook or Meta or whatever. Give me Jesus. Because in Jesus, there is therefore now no condemnation. Our new location gives us the freedom from the guilt and the shame and the burden of condemnation. He has set us free. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.